The art of filmmaking is being done all over the world, from Bollywood, Australia, South Korea, Canada, China, Mexico, and of course, the origin of today's focus, Japan. Many filmgoers find themselves struggling to get over that one-inch-tall barrier we call subtitles, but if you can, you'll be treated to some amazing films from perspectives you've never considered before. Because even though we all come from different cultures and different walks of life, there are some things that we share in common. The human experience and this planet that we all live on. Journey through the forest with us as we ask the question, Princess Mononoke, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. I'm Seth Crow. I'm Megan Branham. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, a show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. And today, we are joined by a very special guest. Seth, why don't you go ahead and do the honors? It's one of my main men, Ian Malden. This guy. Yeah. Hello. Hi, Ian. You are, Ian. You are our first guest ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was like, you've had guests before. I've been a guest before, and now I understand what you mean. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Ian, uh, for those of you who have been listening for a while, was our very first guest that we ever had on the show. Uh, he brought us Big Fish, uh, which was a great episode. I really liked that episode. I loved the conversation that we had. And he's he wanted to come back, so that's good. <laughs> for some reason. For some reason, he wanted to come back. I don't know what to say. But he, he did. Wanted he wanted to come wolves. back. Let's let's talk about wolves. He wants We're watching to talk the about wolves. We watched the gray. <laughs> Those wolves are mean. Uh, but no, uh, we, Ian is back and he's brought us uh, brought us and he's brought us another film uh, that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Before we do, we want to just catch up with each other. How's everybody been doing this week? How's everybody been? Good. So I'm getting I'm nods good. for those who only, <laughs> those who are listening. I got just a lot of like nods. All at the same time. For those, sorry, for those of us who are listening, uh, this is our first ever four-person podcast. So we're stuttering a little bit because I think we're all. No, it's not. It's not our first four-person. No, your birthday episode. We had, we had, we had me, you, Sarah, and Dane. That's right. Riley scratched that whole. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, Seth. Here's the thing. Seth doesn't listen to the episode, so he has no idea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's hard to listen to your own episodes. That's a lot of time. I have to. Because <laughs> I a lot of time them. to like record it and then also to listen to it. It I is do, a lot of time. I do listen sometimes. It's not about and it's not about the time. It's about the cringe things I accidentally say, and I just like <laughs> I just judge myself so harshly, and uh, so I just you know it's better just to say the things and then and then let now them. you know. How we feel on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, we have to we have to cringe when you say them originally. But sometimes there's gold in that pan. You know what I mean? Sometimes. 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 Megan, how are you today? I'm good. You're um, good. Yeah. Nothing nothing new. Nothing, nothing new. I got no. something exciting that's going on for me today. I'm going to my first red carpet premiere. What? Ooh. That's cool. Yeah, it's not a big one. It's one of those little ones for like little movies that they put on for themselves kind of thing. But it's uh, it's uh, I, I PA'd for a uh, a film for a director that I had done a an acting job for the year prior. So I acted in one of this director's films, and then the next year he asked me to come on and PA for his movie he did the following year. So weirdly enough, the second movie is coming out first. 
<laughs> so they're having their little their little like a premiere. It, they said it's a red carpet, uh, and then there's gonna be like a talk back afterwards. And so like it's gonna be my wear, first red carpet. You wearing a suit? I don't know. I don't even know what the dress code is. I have to text uh, uh, Bryce and be like, "Hey, Bryce, like, what's like the like standard dress for this? What is they, it like what super fancy?" What I have a suit. Tux? I have a suit. I don't need a tux. I have a nice suit. <laughs> um, but I was actually going to ask him because I was like, I don't know. Is this like, like just like nice casual or is like, you know, like dressy casual or is this like full on like dress, you know, mm. formal dress? Mm. I don't think so. Again, it's not like a huge premiere. It's kind of just like a small thing. Um, but you never know. I don't know if like for like the for the press or like for like pictures and stuff, they want like people like fully like dressed up. My, my wife is in uh, an acting class with a studio called Fourth Wall, and they did a little short film competition, and they mm-hmm. did a red carpet premiere. And it was like some people were, were really zhuzhed up. Some people were super casual. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what your situation is going to be and I'm like. Just a, a P, I'm just a PA it. on it, too. I'm just a PA. So it's like not even – I'm like not even in the movie. So it's like I don't know if I need to dress up necessarily because I'm just – I just helped – behind the scenes but who knows rick if you ever need if you ever need fashion advice you should hit up megan she knows what she's doing fashionista she should just zoom her and be like what should i wear yeah i'll 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 (laughs) facetime you later i appreciate it i I don't know as much about men's fashion really anything about men's fashion well here's the thing (laughs) uh take a look at my closet you won't see any men's fashion you'll see clothes (laughs) that's about it I don't have There's fashion sense. Blocks of men's fashion clothes are where it all starts. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know fashion. Fashion one hundred and one. With- <laughs> okay. This is our new. Here's the podcast. thing about fashion: it starts with clothes. Oh, not all the time, but a lot of the time. That's it fair. Sometimes it doesn't start with clothes. That's I fair. would argue it starts without clothes specifically, oh, and then you add the clothes yeah, later. That's true. That's, that's true. a fair point. Fair you point. Get dressed. We're not here to talk about fashion or nudity. <laughs> We're here to talk about the film that Ian has brought to us today, which is Princess Mononoke, the 1997 Studio Ghibli film uh, from Miyazaki, uh, a name that many film fans are probably familiar with. Um, so, Ian, why why Princess Mononoke? I I'm a huge Miyazaki fan. Um, I love. I mean, he's essentially the uh you know the japanese disney his films are gorgeous they are they encapsulate humanity in the most beautiful way and nature and um this is my favorite one partially because i watched it when i was a kid and Mm -hmm. it was like the violent one but also uh i really love its themes of uh humanity's struggle within themselves and with nature and the world around them um, I think it's a beautiful film. It, it is a beautiful film. It really is. I have not seen it since since I was a kid, honest and genuinely. It is one of those uh, ones that like the Disney Channel would run every so often because um, uh, Disney like released it. Um, mm-hmm. And so like that one, like Kiki's Delivery Service was like one of the other ones I'd seen a, mm-hmm. a bunch. They um, let this movie play on Disney Channel? I was well, going to say, I'm skeptical. Well, <laughs> not the Disney Channel. I apologize. But Disney released it. Um, Disney distributed it here in, yeah, here in I, the States. 
you mentioned earlier the whole uh, the subtitles thing being a barrier. That, one of the cool things about I'm I'm usually a subs over dubs guy when mm-hmm. it, I don't watch a lot of anime, but when it comes to anime or Japanese stuff, um, I usually advocate for the subs over the dubs. But the dub of this movie and most Miyazaki movies is done by Disney, and it's incredible. I'm talking uh, Billy Bob Thornton, Claire Danes, yeah. like some awesome, awesome people. Uh, did the voices mm-hmm. uh, yeah. of this movie because Disney yeah because Disney distributes a lot of Studio Ghibli or used to um, the yeah they got like a lot of their people to do the voices I know like in Kiki's Delivery Service like uh, one of the t- uh, Taylor Thomas brothers <laughs> uh, not Taylor Thomas one of the uh, gosh what is what are their names um, uh, anyway. The brotherly Jonas love guy. No, the brotherly love guy. It was the guys. Jonas Brothers. <laughs> yes, the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, no, the dubs are pretty good here, uh, but the subtitles are also really cool too. Um, for sure. For sure. I-, I learned that Neil Gaiman wrote the wrote the script for the English dub. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. But anyway, cool. uh, I agree with you. It is a beautiful movie. The animation is gorgeous. The action is really, really well done. Um, the story is really weird and interesting. Not as weird as some of his other stuff. This is actually one of the more straightforward plots, I would say, um, as far as Miyazaki films go. Um, but it's pretty great. Uh, again, I had not watched it since I was young. So very, very cool to watch again and revisit. What about you, Seth? What's your uh, history with Princess Mononoke? Uh, a violent one. Um, violent history. <laughs> Uh, so the first time I saw this movie was in LA, uh, during the pandemic, during the Black Lives Matter protests. And, uh, so there, there was a lot going on outside of our apartment and we kind of just pulled up and turned on Studio Ghibli movies. And that's how we like blocked everything out that was happening around us, like assault rifle fire and helicopters. Uh, so this movie evokes a very specific tone and time of my life for me. Um, Mm -hmm. these movies are like blankets. I, like, I don't know. There, there's something about them that is so like immersive that it, it really does. It does take you to another world, you know? Uh, so I saw this movie in LA and I enjoyed it and it's probably my favorite one of his like tied with my neighbor Totoro just because that movie just evokes such joy. Um, but this is like the best, the most riveting story. Mm-hmm. Awesome. How about you, Megan? What do you think? Yeah. What's your history with princess Mononoke? I, this was the first time I'd ever seen it. Ooh. Um, I really liked it. My, the only other one, the only movie of his that I saw growing up was Kiki's Delivery Service. And I loved it. I was obsessed with that movie. But I didn't really see any of the other ones until I was a lot older. I think Howl's Moving Castle was mm. the next one I saw. I was like 17 or something. Very nice. Um, and then my roommate's actually really, really into all of his movies. So for a bit, she was trying to watch all of them. So I would watch a couple with her, but we just never watched this one together. Um, but yeah, they're beautiful. I just, for some reason, don't like gravitate toward them of my own volition. But when they're on, I'm, this is great. So mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I think they have a specific vibe to them. Like, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if they're necessarily like movies that you like 
pop on to like be in the background or like just like as like a casual watch like i feel like you you like you're like i really really want to immerse myself in something i think then you can you want to put on a, a miyazaki movie um mm -hmm. for me spirited away is the favorite i love spirited away i think that's also one of the weirder ones it's, it's very bizarre but I, I i like it because it is so bizarre and there is a there is a lot of sadness in that one i think too though which i i connect with a little bit more but totoro is great kiki's delivery I'd, service is great i'd consider spirited away to be his like best film but princess mm. mononoke is my favorite film if that makes sense it absolutely makes sense you could some people can't separate those two things but i think we here can yeah. <laughs> all right so let's continue on with our conversation and talk about how this film came to be how it came to into existence um and uh kind of just put a little context to it um, so, as we were talking about, this film was written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, Miyazaki also wrote and directed The Castle of uh, Cagliostro, uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, Castle in the Sky, My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Porco Rosso, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, The Wind Rises, as well as many, many short films under his Studio Ghibli banner. Um, and I apologize for the, this whole episode if I mispronounce anything. It's probably going to happen. It's probably already happened. I apologize for any people who are, are, are listening and being like, oh, he can't pronounce any of these things. I, mean, I You're right. I cannot. So I, I'm <laughs> just going to pronounce them. I'm trying. I'm going to pronounce them the, the way I, I think they're said. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. So let's go into the story here of exactly how Princess Mononoke became to be. So much like an old legend, the genesis of Princess Mononoke goes back, way back, all the way back to the late 70s, back when writer-director Hayao Miyazaki was still an animator and director for Tui Animation. I looked this up. I hope that was correct. <laughs> In Tokyo, while working as an animation filmmaker, Miyazaki began to make sketches for a film about a princess who lives in the forest with a beast. However, he had a lot of difficulty fleshing out the concept into a full story. So the idea was put on the shelf for many, many years. However, in that time, Miyazaki founded his own animation studio in 1985, a studio that would go on to worldwide notoriety and with critical acclaim and success. That studio, as we all know, is Studio Ghibli. After years of successful films, Miyazaki returned to the idea he'd had all those years ago about a princess in the woods. Again, Miyazaki went to the drawing board to make sketches and storyboard for this film, and once again, he found himself stymied, completely blocked. Miyazaki took a smaller job creating an animated promotional music video for the song On Your Mark by Chase and Asuka. Uh, oh, Chage and Asuka, I apologize. Chage and Asuka, which was released in 1994. This little diversion allowed Miyazaki to return to his storyboards with fresh energy, and before long, the entire story was flushed out and the production animation began. After nearly two decades of development, Princess Mononoke premiered in theaters in Japan in the summer of 1997. The film was massively successful in Japan, which promoted a transition to English-speaking countries. Princess Mononoke, along with Kiki's Delivery Service and Castle in the Sky, were distributed and dubbed in the U.S. by Walt Disney Studios because of a 1996 distribution agreement between the studios. And in 2000 the U.S. got to see the English dub version in theaters. Overall, Princess Mononoke grossed nearly $170 million worldwide on a budget of approximately 2.1 billion yen, which is about 
million dollars U.S. And it garnered widespread critical success and acclaim, many praising its story, art design, and thematic messages. And even though we as a society aren't out of the woods yet, we're thankful to have Princess Mononoke there to remind us of which path we should walk. That is the story of Princess Mononoke. I, I don't think I knew that it, that was sort of the film. Like the success of Princess Mononoke was what uh, led to kind of more of a national appeal for his stuff. That's pretty cool. I didn't mm-hmm. know that at all. Yeah. So like at that, that time, like obviously he was big in, in Japan. He had had a few movies released. I think he had a, ha- a handful before Princess Mononoke. And then Princess Mononoke comes out in 1994. And then Disney obviously makes an agreement with them in 96. So the success of Mononoke definitely probably helped that quite a bit. Okay. Um, and then once they had that deal, Disney, like you said, paid to do all the dubbing, write the English dub scripts with people internally and then release them in theaters and put them on the key. And I know for sure I saw Kiki's delivery service on the Disney channel. I remember specifically that was on the Disney channel. I do um, remember that. I remember so, that. So like Disney kind of did like help like usher Miyazaki into um, an American audience, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, yeah. uh, but there's a whole story about uh, – uh, uh, Harvey. So Harvey Weinstein, I guess, was like head of Miramax at the time, or or something like that. And they were they were uh, getting ready to uh, release Princess Mononoke through Miramax because that was another Disney subsidiary. And uh, Miyazaki's like, no cuts, like don't don't cut the film at all. And Weinstein really really wanted to cut the film from 135 minutes to 90 minutes. And apparently Miyazaki sent him a a samurai sword with a note that said no cuts. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I hate that guy. I can't really think of why else I hate that guy, but for sure for that reason. For that reason and that reason alone. I hate this Weinstein character. (laughs) Apparently he threw a big fit when people told him, no, you can't cut, can't cut the movie. Apparently threw a big fit and threatened to fire people. And you, you never work in this town again, kind of stuff. You know, the things he's famous for. Among other things. Mm-hmm. Can't remember there's, those things. There's though. like nine no. jokes here. I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Keep all your Weinstein <laughs> jokes away. We don't need them. No one needs them anymore. <laughs> the, the name itself is a joke. Yeah. <laughs> True. True um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the history of studio, uh, not studio. Well, kind of studio, Ghibli, but, uh, of, uh, Princess Mononoke. I can't, it's interesting because I, as a like a writer and a creator, it is interesting when you have an idea for something and you're like, "There's something here, but I don't know exactly what it is." And you try and figure it out, and you're just like, "Well, you know what? Forget it. I'm gonna just like leave it away and come back to it." And then when you do, it is weird how many things have like bloomed in your subconscious on something over how long you've been away from it. I get that. Just that was relevant. What, what did you say about what? I'm sorry, I missed it. That's the message of Kiki's delivery service a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's that whole thing where she's like, step away from it and then you'll know how to fly. Maybe, I watched that a lot anyway. Maybe <laughs> that's, maybe he, because he did start making that movie long after he had the idea for Princess Mononoke. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a little bit of what he had learned came out there. Yeah. I see that though in this movie, his like indecision or inability to like wrangle exactly what he's talking about i think i think we do that on this podcast a little bit 
but like what? Yeah. Uh, but I definitely came away from this movie going, I kind of figured out what he's saying, but I don't totally get what you're saying. And I think I, I really wish I spoke Japanese because I feel like there's so much more meaning to be gleaned if you knew the language. Like, I yeah. feel like it's. Oh, it's, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that. It could be read as indecision, but I think that it's also fair to speculate that um, that maybe it's more of just an idealistic point of view that um, kind of sets aside our baked in um, our baked in preconceived notion to like be like okay, either good or evil has to win. But like mm-hmm. in the end of this movie, it's not really that way. It's more like oh, the like. The, fl- the flawed uh, villain realizes sort of the error of her way. You know, like, kind of everyone comes together uh, in a way. This this forest spirit dies, but... Spoiler! But the forest, <laughs> but doesn't but die. The forest is saved. I don't know. Yeah, that's... Yeah. We'll get into this later! <laughs> you guys are jumping enough, the gun enough. here! <laughs> I didn't... Really fair. I didn't read it as indecision. I read it like more as nuance and the gray area. There was a lot of room for that. And I think maybe we're not so used to that in some of our media. Exactly. I also think in general, Miyazaki is not trying to be clear exactly with his messages. Uh, I mean, there's some things that are pretty blatantly clear, but I think as far as like, if you watch a lot of his other films, like they're meant to be a little bit, off they're meant to be a little bit like almost disorienting in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um and like you know it's sometimes it's more about a feeling and less so about like an actual tangible like thing to take away from um but uh we'll get into it again we'll get oh, into that in just I, a little I, bit really really quickly i think i just need to redact the word indecision maybe no. it's not indecision it's it's been recorded it, you can't redact it it's uh it's like it's abstract mm-hmm. this stuff is abstract and it bumps up against the themes but it doesn't know how to like totally it's because it's like me trying to explain what i'm saying right now it's like <laughs> it's like that like it's like he can circle very big existential concepts but it's like impo- it's really hard to talk about totally but you're right ricky let's continue <laughs> okay uh seth yeah you know what time it is but it's time for you to talk more <laughs> say more right now <laughs> what time is it seth it's riding with ricky riding with ricky it's the best time of day the music sucks, but that's okay, because we gotta get there anyway. Riding with Ricky, everybody. Riding with Ricky. <laughs> Thanks. Put you, put you, put you remi- no, <laughs> I would love it. I would love it. Okay, so yes, this is Writing with Ricky, where I have devised and crafted my own logline for this film, and my wonderful co-hosts and our special guests are going to grade that log line on a scale of one to 10 uh, based on how good they think that log line is. And again, using their own criteria to grade it. We have, as we've seen in recent history, we have some very different opinions on what a good log line is. Uh, so scores may vary. 
but I will then average what my three scores here today are uh, and then add that into my both yearly average and overall average. The goal being to keep myself above an eight. Um, so we'll see. So this is my log line that I've written for Princess Mononoke. And once you all hear it, you will be able to tell me what you think, how good it is on a scale of one to ten. One being just the just like not even the same movie and ten being perfect description. All right, here we go. <clears throat> After being cursed by a forest spirit, Ashitaka leaves his secluded village to find the source, putting him directly in the middle of a world-threatening war. What do you guys think? Negative six. No. <laughs> Negative six. That's real gonna hurt the average, guys. You didn't say Prince Ashitaka. You just said Ashitaka. Oh, I apologize. I didn't realize he was a prince. They call him a prince very early in the movie. I knew he not. was like, I, I remember them saying that he was like supposed to be like their next chieftain, but I didn't, as far as their structure goes, I didn't realize that he was prince. That he was just like, yeah. the, he seems like he's the only young man in that whole village. <laughs> you know, actually, to be fair, that might be a dub like a like a something that neil gaiman that neil gaiman was like okay i'm gonna write it this way because americans will understand it mm -hmm. yeah uh, anyway my real score is uh my real score is a, a 10 i like it it's great perfect you summed Woo! it up yes <laughs> seth, seth disagrees seth disagrees <laughs> what do you nobody think, ever gets a 10 you gave me a 10 once score you gave me a 10 once oh I did, I guess. You gave me a 10. Actually, I think twice. You gave me a 10 on the Santa Claus, and you gave me a 10 on the Exorcist. Well. I'm a guest. I can do whatever I want. And forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, you got a score? Uh, seven. Nice. Seven. Good job. Okay. Good job. <laughs> okay, Seth, what is yours? Uh, can I hear it one more time? <laughs> sure, buddy. <laughs> If you okay. give it a 10 after he says it again, I'm going to be mad at you. <laughs> after being cursed by a powerful forest spirit, Ashitaka leaves his secluded village to find the source, putting him directly in the middle of a world-threatening war. Uh, I'm going to give it... I, I admire the effort, because I think this is a difficult one. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually going to agree... Uh, with Megan here, seven. Okay, seven. I'll take the seven. I'll take the seven. I'm sorry, I okay. heard it again. I want to give it an eight. Oh, oh! <laughs> nice! Yay! Okay, that's just gonna bump it up just a little bit. Uh, okay, so uh, while I do some maths here, do uh, the ads. We're gonna, we're gonna hit the ads. Hey, sorry to interrupt your favorite podcast, but I'm here to tell you about Shrimp and Crits, an actual play podcast with a southern twist. My name is Ian, and I am the keeper for this show as we play Monster of the Week by Michael Sands. If you like the sound of swampy monster mayhem, gators gone shopping, and magical fairy mischief, you will be right at home in the remote panhandle town of Gullicochica, Florida, where spooky danger has begun to wash ashore. Shrimp and Crits is the story of Sarah Payne the Mundane. All I'm asking for 
is answers. That's all I'm looking for is the truth. Ari Green, the searcher. You know the proclamations of the fame. I suggest you follow them from now on. And Ray Ray, the most mundane monstrous you will ever meet. Mr. Zeus, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I, I knew you were, I knew you were real. Um, and Ray Ray's just like bowing in front of this swan. As they fumble their way through protecting their skeptical town from mysterious evils. We release new episodes every other Monday on the podcatcher of your choice. Hope to see you soon in sunny Gullicote. And we're back. So here are the numbers. So with those three scores from Ian, Seth, and Megan added, that was an average from them of 8.33. I added that into my overall score, which brought it up slightly to an 8.11. And it brought my 2023 average up to a 7.67. So we are creeping back up to that seven. Uh, uh, Man, that... That Mithrigan score really did a number on my average for the year. I got a, I really got some ground to make up. Oh wow! Did you really biff it? For I Mithrigan? didn't think so, but Seth gave me a very bad score. <laughs> it's all, Seth, gave like, me, <laughs> Seth gave me like a three or something like that, and Megan gave me a, a six. All you need <laughs> to know rough. is all, all you need to know is that it's like an AI doll. That's all you need to know for the logline. And and. <laughs> Online, it's an AI doll. That's- <laughs> it even says, "That's all you need to know." <laughs> and that's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, but yes, <laughs> so my average is have going up. Thank you guys for your score, and that was writing with Ricky. And now that we've gotten that out of the way, it is time for us to dive into the titular question. So, Ian, since this is your film, you get to ask whoever you want what they think of this movie, what they think it's about. Whoever pick pick who you choose. We're all ready. Um cool. I I am really interested uh in Megan's thoughts being <sighs> that she's she had never seen the movie before. She didn't have the nostalgic quality about it that I have. So Megan, what's it about? I just want to know Kay. Um this question's always so hard because everything's about so much, you know? <laughs> uh, I think uh, I said it before uh, about not nuance, balance, I guess. Um, and how nothing is as innocent or as evil as it seems. People, nature, Everything in between, nothing is as simple as we might think it is. Um, I went into it thinking it was going to be like Fern Gully, and I think, I, I think like for movies like Fern Gully, which is was one of my favorites growing up, kind of tend to take this approach to nature, and probably because it's designed for kids, is like this like peaceful, perfect like um magical which it is it is all those things but it's also like violent and harsh and fights back and i think this movie did a really good job of showing that and i really liked that about it um and people were shown as you know corrupt and greedy but also as compassionate and still they were doing things for like strangely kind of the right reasons but the wrong way it was just there was a lot of a lot of nuance and I really liked that. Mm-hmm. Balance is, I think, a good word for it. It's his um, favorite word. It's his favorite word. Well, <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's. I think on on this show, something that we're learning more is like 
about like life in general is that like a lot of things come as inverses of each other and you can't lean too far to one side or else things tip in a bad way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, it is about like finding the, the, the midpoint of things to where you have a little bit of both and, and are able to fluctuate between the two that allows you to have almost like the, I was almost going to say like the easiest path, but that's not exactly what I mean. What I mean is like a, a path where you feel like you're not maybe suffering quite as much or are able to move through the world in a way that doesn't feel so hard. To see with eyes unclouded. To see with eyes unclouded <laughs> from hate. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Exactly. But, you know, and so like for me, just to jump into my, to my thing, I also th- thought like balance was a huge thing. Um, huge thing in here um some of the obviously some of the bigger themes and i think the one that most people might like immediately see right on the surface is like industrialism versus environmentalism um obviously with like this idea of like people trying human beings trying to expand and industrialize and and i you know we see this in our own world now uh (laughs) kind of destroying nature in in the in the uh, name of exp- human expansion and world domination, in a way, and as you as you said, Megan, nature fights back. We we're seeing this with like global warming and our weather patterns changing. And like when you when you destroy nature, nature finds a way to also destroy you. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and it, there's this like mutually assured destruction between that. So there again, this ebb and flow of. When one side pushes back, it, there's a back, there's a crack back with it as well, and so with, I think with the, with ahead, the balance of with the balance of um, of environmentalism versus industrialism uh, is even expressed like in that lady, but like obviously like the Iron Town, it's bad for the forest, but in mm-hmm. the end, she you know she says like we can build the city back better. So there's like mm-hmm. a uh, maybe a shift in perspective there. Like we can make a city that maybe isn't so harsh on the. Exactly. Yeah, the exactly. The balance. Like, okay. Like we, cause like, you're right. Like humans need to exist and humans do need to like work to make their lives better. And so like, that's not necessarily inherently a bad thing of like human advancement and, and increasing the quality of life. Like that's not necessarily a bad thing. And inherently we, we use the earth as resources. Like we, we have to, it's what, you know, our food comes from the earth and our everything that we need comes from earth. So we do have to use it. And, and, but it's like, to what, like she says, like to what extent can we do it better? Can we be better about the way we utilize the earth and can it be not as destructive? Um, and obviously that's a question that we as a society are like going through right now. Um, it's, can we, can we get what we need from the earth without completely just like wrecking it? Um, but I think on a more personal level for me, um, to kind of go into this, like, you know, eyes unclouded idea, which I think is really important for this movie is like deep wounds bring new perspectives. It's, we see when these, we see these characters experience some kind of trauma or pain, it, sometimes it can it can further cloud their vision. You can take trauma and you can allow it to, to blind you, or you can take trauma and pain and, and wounds and allow it to 
clear things up for you, allow you to see things more clearly. And I think we see that throughout the movie with different characters of like, obviously with Ashitaka, we see it. We see the fact that he has this wound that's going to kill him. It allows him to see things more clearly and understand, like, even though he could, he could easily want revenge on the, on the, uh, on the spirits, um, on the Shishigama, uh, for what they did to him. He didn't deserve that. He was just protecting people. He, you know, that thing was going to destroy and kill a bunch of people. You know, he was fully within his, honestly, what was probably right and just to do. And he was punished for it. Punished by a sentence of death, slow, agonizing, painful death. And like, it would make sense for him to, to be angry about that and to seek revenge on the spirits. Instead, it, he, he comes to such a place of bigger understanding. And we actually, what's interesting is we see that that, that wound makes him stronger, gives him strength and allows him to, to move and help the world. It saves and his sure, life several times. It saves it several times, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we see diff- different people in, throughout the, the film experience their own traumas. I know, like, um, uh, what's what's the woman's name from uh, the Iron Town? Lady Aboshi. Lady Aboshi, thank you. Obviously, this she is has, what hatred looks like. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, she's had some kind of she's had some kind of trauma that causes her to like just want to like build up and be in control of everything and basically dominate her whole world. And she does some great things. She obviously, she takes people in, she marginalized groups, women gives them power, gives them community. Like there's some good things about what she does, but it's, it's all in the name of like, basically like fuck the world. I'm, you know, I'm going to be the one in power. And so, yeah, I mean, she even, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. She even, I mean, in the end, for her ambition, she abandons her city. Mm -hmm. She says they'll be fine. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I've given them everything they need. Exactly. And so, go ahead. She just, she gives, she takes care of her own, right? Mm -hmm. But she is still kind of, at her core, a narcissist. Like, she, as long as you're within her, like, world she's going to take care of you but like there's drive that is very selfish within her i think mm. yeah oh yeah and, and fear a lot and, of fear oh yeah i mean obviously she talks about the the samurai and the emperor and obviously they are not good people either um mm. and they've done some horrible things to people and so she she is like we need to be stronger and better so we can defeat them and they can't take us you know everyone yeah. And it's, I mean, even like the guy looking for the head of the forest, but like they're all, there's a lot of talk about not being or being afraid of death. Mm. And that drives, like if, if that guy didn't want the head of the forest spirit, maybe we would all be chilling. If that guy wasn't so scared of dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that message of like just accepting the cycle of nature and your part in it and like mellowing out a little bit. Yeah. It's, the, it's cool. The it's monk cool. is such a cool character because he like from the perspective, it's a little, it's a little played out to talk about the hero's journey, I feel like, but this is, uh, it is at its heart, this is a fantasy film, so mm-hmm. it makes sense. Um, the monk is an interesting character because he's both the mentor at a certain point and then also, like, the shapeshifter. Like, he, like, becomes, you know, he's obviously a villain by the end, 
Uh, but uh, thematically, he represents capitalism, which I think is an awesome element to this. Yeah, story. he'll do whatever he can to get to get his money. You know, get paid. He'll double cross anybody. He'll he'll do anything for mm-hmm. for for that money for his for his power and status, which is interesting. But yeah, so like I think there's more stuff that I got out of this movie that personally hit me. But I think for me, like this idea that like wounds can either cloud your judgment or they can give you perspective. Um, I love that. Because uh, I think that in you know we we see it throughout the movie of how how it affects different characters, um, but uh, I would love to hear uh, Ian what you think of the movie, what what you think it's about, and what you got out of it. To me, Princess Mononoke is a story about what it means to be human, uh, what it means to be to experience morality as a human, and to exist with within nature. Um, we see Ashitaka, who is such a great protagonist, and it would be would be my argument against like the current trend of every hero needing to be an anti-hero of some sort, uh, because he's so good-hearted in spite of everything that happens to him. It's so it's like incredibly inspirational to me. Um, I mean, uh, from from dealing with life like life isn't fair is a huge theme in this movie right like the, the characters directly say things like that mm-hmm. um even lady aboshi says to him she she's like that's not fair you shouldn't be cursed it should be me like she outright says it you know what i mean so mm. um it really the movie really nails home for me that a uh, someone with a good heart and an ideal viewpoint can overcome uh whatever whatever evils there's there's man trying to destroy nature there's nature fighting back at man um there's ambition capitalism um but and even like the like i guess megan you mentioned the 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 complicated the more nuanced view of nature right like um how fern gully is like nature good nature mm-hmm. equals good mm-hmm. uh but this movie nature's terrifying i mean yeah. to, i i think about being a kid being a, being scared of horror films uh, but then i remember watching the first time we see the forest spirit step on the ground and the the verdant life kind of burst from its footprint and then instantly die and shrivel up i i remember feeling a a different kind of terror in that moment. Um, so I don't know. I, the, I, the four spirits face freaks me out. Oh <laughs> <It's> scary. <laughs> there was a lot in this movie that I was like, if I watched this when I was a kid, this would have scared the hell out of me. Like the, the little, I know they're cute, but those little white, um, the Kadama. Like, yeah. They're so cool. I, things that move like that are, I hate. Oh. Ah, you got one. And so when they were moving like that, I mean, at the end, I was like, okay, fine, they're cute. But in the beginning, I was like, this is my nightmare. I hate it. Did you see the little butts? They're little, they have little they're butts. Little butts. <laughs> <Cute>. Yeah. <laughs> they got little butts. <laughs> so, How can you be scared of them with a little butt like that? That's are adorable. So when I was yeah. watching this movie, I was watching it with, we have some guests here and Sarah, and uh, they are, they're very mystery science theater 
so I'm just trying to seriously watch this film, and they're just like constantly interjecting with like dad ass, dad ass. So it was a it was a fun watch, but it was not it was not easy to I had to I had to focus. Mm-hmm. I on that on that note, I wrote I've I have kind of a stream of consciousness uh, notes like just bullet points that I was <laughs> taking throughout this movie. I there's more than more than two bullet points that are I am in love with the women of Iron Town. I would die for the women of Iron. <laughs> they're Town. great. I love these women. They're so funny. <laughs> they're funny and they they they're driven and they have purpose and they have confidence. Like. Like Lady Aboshi yeah. is again, she's created a place where these women, especially in like feudal China, a uh, feudal Japan, like did not have power at all. Right. No. And they, no bras. They, no bras in Iron Town. If it would go right into the furnace. <laughs> well, also um, being like the backbone of that town is that, an exactly movie like this or movies that are nature versus whatever, like women are the symbol of nature. They're not the representation of the industrial part. So that was, I'd never seen that before. Agreed. So. Yeah. They create the iron. They create the metal. They have, they make the forge. They are well, like, they, how long did they say they worked? Like they said five four day ship. Yeah. Four, four five days, days, five nights. Well, um, we're talking about how nice she is. I'm like, yeah, she's nice. She gave them a town, but she also makes them work for like right. four days at That's a time. But they seem to love it. They <laughs> do, but like, I'm, I don't know. It's tough. You're right. But that's good. That's good writing too. Cause I, I, I often like, I often talk about or think about uh, how writing too often kind of holds the audience's hand, assumes we're stupid. Mm. Um, where like so they didn't say like oh yeah lady oboshi's great but she makes us work all the time and we're so tired they were like brag it was instead they were bragging about their long shifts and like they took it as a point of pride but we as the audience can take that and be like oh like damn (laughs) yeah what what the hell man brainwashed (laughs) but lady oboshi is such a great sympathetic villain um i love that you're constantly like impressed by her um the good because she does a lot of good uh she takes care of her people really well she takes care of people that society marginalizes um and she really seems she even is really good to to uh ashitaka when he shows up Mm um i i find the uh reflexive nature of Lady Eboshi and Princess Mononoke, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, like an embrace, the, an embrace of industrialism and an embrace of nature. But it's yeah, also it's two like, women. As like counterpoints, it's, right? It's also two women, so it's like more to it. There's there's a lot more going on, I think, uh, in terms of what is being said by this reflection. Um, it's like, and I, I I would actually be interested to hear what you have to say about it, Megan, because. I could not totally pinpoint it, but it like it is by far my favorite duality in the film is mm-hmm. is their two characters, um, mm-hmm. and like what what uh, uh, her name alludes always freaking alludes not Mononoke, uh, I just said it. What is it? Aboshi. Lady Aboshi. Lady Aboshi. Uh, just like there's something about what Lady Aboshi had to do 
to make it to to become what she has become. And there's something about how Princess Mononoke exists. There's something there that's like, and it's also a, I think commentary on feminism in that place. And I would really like to like expand on that because I I'm I don't know what it exactly is, but it's something I think. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I thought that too during that scene where they're fighting, where they're like screaming at each other from across the, the grounds. I just, I mean, I love any scene where two women are like, two strong women are arguing. I think it's great. <laughs> I think the room for like women to disagree has been like in it from like a full, fully developed character place is so interesting because we don't see it that often. Um, so I was drawn to it just because of that. But I think it's also it's for me the appeal of it is they're both so fully fleshed out they're both they're both um they're very their characteristics are feminine but fierce and they're protective and they're um they're caring but it it's like this grittier more realistic not seen very often way and to see two women like that go up against each other was just i think that is just fascinating um but also they're both really afraid um, which is, you know, uh, they're both in a vulnerable place because of, I don't know, Lady Eboshi, I didn't really think of her gender as much, and maybe I should have, because she just presented so, I don't know, now that I think about it, her, like, care for the people in her town is a very traditionally feminine characteristic. Um, yeah, I don't know. I liked seeing them fight, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're <laughs> both strong very strong characters, both strongly written and both and both strong as in the characters themselves. Um, and you're right. I think Lady Eboshi, there is like a maternalness to the way she she runs her city. Um, mm-hmm. But it do- also, I think it makes sense that you're like, you don't really think about her gender because she doesn't like. We don't really explore her backstory as much as we explore other characters backstories in this mm-hmm. film. And it's never explicitly said why she does what she's doing or, or like what has driven her to this point. But again, you can assume by the way that they talk about how Japan t- treats women and other mm-hmm. women have been treated. Um, you can assume I'm sure she's experienced that, um, which is her trauma and why she's so driven to create this force, this town, this town is not very big. And yet it's like a powerful force in the land. Very strong. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't I would never advocate for a sequel um of this kind of thing, but the world is so well built and the story is so well told, I can't help speculate. Um, but it's like like we said, with the Emperor being evil and the samurai being you know, all of these like all of these bad forces in the world, like exclusively, right? Mm-hmm. Lady Eboshi is a villain, is the villain of this story, but is the best of the villains in Mm. the world power right Mm -hmm. so thinking about this world moving forward i think the best path forward is what happened is uh lady lady eboshi and ashitaka together uh creating a society with her drive and his altruism creating a society that actually uh works uh, which is which i think is really sustainability yeah yeah Um, if we're gonna talk oh one last if we're talking about gender, I really liked what's his name, Ashitaka. Ashitaka, what is his name? Mm-hmm. Ashitaka. I really like him and all the things, Ian, that you pointed out about his character. But I also, I those are I don't know. I just feel like in most things that I see, those are very 
those are female characters characteristics and so i love seeing it's like the PETA and the hunger games thing right, right? i just love seeing a compassionate hero um extreme, he's extremely compassionate like, very gentle like even though he's strong and powerful and like a good fighter he's very gentle mm-hmm. a lot of his, his fighting style is about defending himself like when people are are firing arrows at him when people are trying to shoot him it's a lot of him is about like deflecting and like dis like disarming only so mm-hmm. often do we see him like actually try I, and hurt people i got a hot i got a hot take on ashitaka what's your hot take seth uh I, he's a martyr i don't i don't like him i don't like ashitaka <laughs> i don't here's the thing i don't think he's a martyr because he in his eyes he's a dead man anyway this you know what i mean like i feel like you can only martyr yourself if like you you don't have to you know what i mean like i think he's he doesn't have a reason uh, not not to. i think it's the noble thing like it's it's i i think there's actually a lot being said by how by his journey and like what uh like ashitaka is a good boy he is the the prince the noble prince who does the right thing always but i think what's being said about this character is that even no matter how noble you are you're gonna get got like like it's it's like putting forth this like even moral like human moral is like and and doing the right thing is going to be corrupted and but he doesn't get got (laughs) i still think he does i think that's what the mark on his hand like the remaining mark on his hand is representative of it's like you're gonna get got you got some time kid but Mm. you got some time well i mean one of the one of the big lines in the movie is from uh one of the 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 lepers uh life is suffering it is hard the world is cursed but still you find reasons to keep living that's my favorite line of the movie I knew it. So that's why I figured I'd bring it up. Life is hard. Life is suffering. We are all cursed <laughs> to live. For some reason. For some reason. We live anyway. You come, you come up with a good reason to stay alive. And Sorry, go oh, ahead. No, no. You, I, I'm, what were you saying? Oh, no. I just had a story. I, I thought it was at first. I was like, this guy accepted death like really quickly. They were like, sorry, you got to die. And he was like, all right. Cool. Yeah. That was, so well, I guess I think, I'll go on. Uh, you mean Ashitaka or do you mean uh, the lepers? Ashitaka. Well, I think in their world, it's like kind of well known that like there is not if the spirits curse you, that's that's it. Like there is yeah. nothing you can do, and even okay. other spirits can't do anything about it. You know, only I, only the Shishigama can do anything about it. I did write down that Elder was a total G, how she's so calmly with a smile delivered that <laughs> she's like throwing stones around. She well, looks up and she's like, well, you're <laughs> fucked. Yeah. Well, you're going to die. But here's the thing. Look you, here. you can go and learn why you're going to die. Right. Here's the thing, though. You're also exiled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we well, can't watch you leave. What? I, I think... But I think that's it. Like that's his even his acceptance of it so quickly is where he needs to learn. Like that's where his character needs to grow is that like he has this like right way of accepting death. You know, he has this right like uh, this 
this ideal of how he should be facing his own demise. You just have something to say, Megan? What? Well, I was just thinking, I, I'm torn on that because I did think it was funny how easily he was like, well, all right. Um, but he does, I think like going back to the thing about recognizing your part in nature, people are, are beings of nature. Um, and if he, so like the, the forest spirits head, if anyone gets that, they, they live forever. Is that the, from that's the thought they, like the they, thought. they don't actually know if that's true. That's just that's what, what this emperor, emperor thinks. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know if that's true at all. So I think like if Ashitaka had taken a different approach, if he was a different person, he would have been like, well, then I'll go get the head and then maybe I'll be fine. But instead he's like, I will, you know, go talk to this thing. And I, I, I like that. I think that's why um, everyone in this conversation likes him so much um, because he accepts what has to happen and his part in nature. And he doesn't fight it in a way that will destroy everything. Um, so I, I think, I think that's ultimately his appeal. And I'm, I'm now fine with him being chill about dying. I've changed my mind. Well, I think think there might be a cultural thing here. So like, like the way that we view death in, in our culture is different than the way other cultures view death. And so, and our relation to, to dying and the earth and things like that. Some, some cultures don't view it as such a, a thing to fight against. Right. Like, I mean, you could compare this, this, this curse that, that Ashitaka gets to like a, a terminal illness diagnosis. Right. We, I think we are so used to getting that whole exploration of like the stages of grief. Like, we're like, we're like, oh, you got to go through those stages. You got to like not accept it and you got to try and fight against it and you got to try and do this. And and then you got to be depressed about it. And then eventually we can accept that people can accept their own death. Like for some reason, I think we're, we're culturally like conditioned to have to see those steps. And I don't think all cultures do that. Even the people of Irontown were much more chill about death than you would expect right like it was like oh like some of our husbands died okay well that sucks let's get back to work like kind of thing mm-hmm. so. but to, to counterpoint on um like i i seth i liked i actually like your thoughts on ashitaka even though he's one of my favorite <laughs> favorite characters uh i hadn't thought of that angle before um but i think that there's an earnesty to him that kind of bucks against that like there's so many examples of things that he doesn't have to do of times where he's actually putting his own mission at risk to do the right thing. I mean, so like that's the very first the very first scene uh where the demon is coming out of the woods and attacking his town. Uh I I immediately recognize he like he's not even trying to fight this thing. Like like he doesn't shoot an arrow at it until uh tries to kill his sister like he's he's running alongside it with yakul his beautiful red elk and he he's like talking to it he's like hey uh yeah what can i what noble spirit what can i do you know like he's like he's uh, from that very moment trying to do the right thing and then like later when the when the people get attacked by the wolf the people of iron town um that's when he first meets son is when he's saving these people he doesn't even know like he doesn't have to do that. 
There's no reason to do that. He could he could die in the woods that's because he's feeding. I think that's feeding into my point of view. He's like he's it. he's noble and altruistic, even even to his own disinterest. Yes. So so like his ref- there's there's so many reflexive things in this movie, but like the monk is the opposite of Ashitaka, right? Opportunistic. He's opportunistic. Conniving. And he does the right thing because it's the like well on the precipice of dying he does the right thing no 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 that's not what i'm saying it's like he moves through the world more correctly oh then he plays the game better he plays he knows how to move and play the game better yeah and there is a there is a rightness to that right it's not it's definitely not wrong though his intentions are the opposite of ashitaka ashitaka has good intentions but he's like He's stupidly noble. He's he's, <laughs> he's doing the right thing at all costs, and it's like I, I I think I think the old lady knows what she's sending him off to do, and that's to to actually look to look like to learn to live, right? Yeah. Like, and that's that's why again why I have before a he dies. Yeah, like like again why I have a problem with his just acceptance of death, like and that and the acceptance of death in this movie entirely i i i I understand what you're saying that it could be cultural but i think what's being said is there you need stakes there has to you have to live you have to live to be able to live i don't know this is what i'm talking about again i i I, seth i don't think we ever got your full like feelings of what this film is about but just like i think for me that's like he could not see the world clearly he could not experience the world the way because they're secluded in their little village that people don't even that's, know exists. That's what I'm. That's that's and what I'm getting at. He needed that wound in order to a, a clear and clear a path for him to see the world, yeah. and see it for the what it is. Yeah, he's um, he's a sheltered prince who, mm-hmm. if if I, I think, I think this movie is about mortality, and. Whether or not you accept your mortality, it's coming, and how you cope with it is important, and it's a drive for living. Your mortality is a drive for living, and it's not. It it gets really abstract near the end of the film, and it's like it's it's even going to be hard for me to to say things because I feel things in when I watch this movie that I don't have words for. And that's what, what I mean by I wish there was like more like I knew Japanese because I feel like there's probably a word for it. Um, but it's like this movie is just it's it's talking about living, but you actually have to live to live, which is sounds really derivative. Like the the whole line at the end of the film, it's like it's time for us to start living, you know, mm-hmm. Um what he says to Princess Mononoke, which doesn't mean them getting together, which is I love. Uh, right. They don't they don't get together. It's like yeah. you're gonna live in the the forest of the spirits and I'm gonna be here in Iron in Iron Town and Because and, that's how life really works, you know what and I mean? And we'll and we'll work together to help make sure that things are balanced. But like there is no promise that like we're we're a thing, right? There's none of that. Yeah. And it's like it's like the destructive nature of fear of death is actually 
it's it's another it's part of the balance because it drives you to live mm. right um we're talking about mortality people mortality people <laughs> uh yeah okay, and those go ahead those themes are expressed too in the in the other gods the other spirits oh, that's, yeah. of the movie like the um the boars uh, the the bo- think of the boar uh, the old blind boar i can't remember his name oh, versus a- toko something like that maybe and then the versus like the wolf mother's uh wow. views on death moro yeah so she's like she is like accepting of her death Koto. and she um she's ready to die she understands that it's her time to die where the boar's perspective is more like we have to beg for more life give us we have to have more life to have the strength to fight these humans yeah that's a good point of like honestly the fear of the death comes from the spirits right comes from the the boars and the also that negative way of like of in death like the two boars become this uh tatari gami i think that's what it's called uh, this like evil, corrupted spirit. Only the we only see that happen to the boars. We don't see that happen to the wolves. And so it's like it is like almost like a different perspective of like the fear of death. And like in death, are you dying with fear and anger and rage? In which case, you become this corrupted thing. Uh, yeah, even- or do you die with acceptance, love, and purpose? Even the curse on Ashitaka gets stronger when he gets angrier and more hateful, and it doesn't grow as fast when he's more at peace and let mm-hmm. like you know less when he's calm. But it's like the source of his power, right? So it's like it's like well, it's I think Star, it's a Star Wars thing. If you give in to your hate, yeah, it consumes you. Well, I it think helps you in the short term. I think that's like this whole thing about like. Trauma, right? Trauma can can be destructive to towards you. It can lead you to being corrupted and lead you towards hate and lead you to these bad things. And it's a back and forth. I think we all have our own trauma in our lives where sometimes it gives us an ability to go through a situation and do it in a healthy way. And other times it's triggering and it brings us to a negative place. Like it, it, it does both things. Sometimes it can be a source of our strength, but sometimes it can be a weakness. And can it be it can be killing us, um, and so I think that's like where that comes from. But something else that that really hit me in this movie, particularly with Ashitaka, is this idea of being a peacekeeper, someone who who cares a lot about all these groups with different interests and different goals, conflicting goals, and trying to find a way to bridge the gap and and getting caught up in the the danger and the violence of that. I don't know if you guys are, are in your lives are peacekeepers at all, but um, it, it's tough to, to have two people that have such differing views on things and such different goals and, and things that they want that just completely don't align with each other at all. And trying to be in the middle of that and, and make sure everybody's okay. You know, cause mm-hmm. like, even though he knows lady Aboshi's wrong, he doesn't want her to die. Like he could just let her die in that moment, uh, in the, in like the the glen, uh, of the forest. He could just let her get get killed by that that black ooze. She could be dead. 
and that would be that end of that, you know? Um, but he does it. He doesn't. Yeah. I love that he never gives up on the people in, in the end, in the la- the third act, so to speak. He never gives up on the people of Irontown. He, he's constantly, again, to the detriment of his own mission, he's constantly going back for them and trying to help them. And um, I don't know. I think if this were cut by, by Weinstein, right? Oh! I think that. I think that he'd be like, okay, no, why would he go back to talk to people of Irontown? Like, he's got a job to do. He's got to go find the head mm-hmm. of this god. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. It, it being a peacekeeper is tough. I, I don't. I'm not always that person in my life. Uh, a lot of time, that's my mom is the peacekeeper. My mom, and to the poor thing, to her, to her own stress and anxiety she tries so hard to make sure that everybody can understand each other and and nobody gets too upset my family is full of a bunch of hard-headed uh very passionate people (laughs) and we don't always agree and it's nice to have somebody that's like trying to make sure everybody is heard and trying to make sure everybody's understood uh and trying to translate (laughs) <laughs> across across the aisle what the other person might be meaning and might need so uh, I just want to give a shout out to all the peacekeepers out there in their relationships and all the clerics all the clerics all the people who who are the glue uh, trying to hold everybody together we see you and we know it's hard so thank you for all that all that you do hell yeah hell yeah I couldn't do that and I know and I like I'm a mediator sometimes, but even when I, cause it was the first time I watched the movie. So my first reaction was, well, first of all, I was like, can sad things please stop happening? This has been exclusively sad things the whole time. Um, and then at the end, I really didn't want, I was like, why are you saving her? I know that's like a, a childlike maybe um, reaction, but I, that was my first reaction was like, don't let her, let her go. Um, she's been very mean and I was really sad when she cut the head off the forest spirit. Like I was having very visceral reactions to all these things. And it wasn't until after when I like could think about it where I was like, okay, fine. I get it. <laughs> but I was really sad when Moro died, partly cause she's voiced by Jillian Anderson, who I love. Um, and then at the very end when he's like, you'll go to your thing, I'll go to my thing. I was like, if I were her, I'd be like, good, never come visit me. I'm pretty pissed. <laughs> like her family's dead. I was yeah. heated toward the end. But with Sons. some time, I get it. That is so yeah. interesting. Like, yeah, because it is, I feel like in maybe a more traditional movie, yeah, she, she Lady Eboshi dies. Like, yeah. maybe not like deserves to die is, is harsh, and I don't necessarily believe that's true. But, mm-hmm. but like, Throughout the whole movie, Ashitaka's like, don't do this. You don't understand what you're doing. And she's like, no, I'm going to kill the god of, of life and death. Like, yeah, how, how, how does that sound like a good idea to you? <laughs> I think she represents modernity. And, yeah. and, like, I think it's very interesting that her arm gets uh, bit, bitten, bitten off. off, you know? Yeah. And I think that it's interesting that Ashitaka is going to basically be her corrupted right arm. Like, like it's, I think, I think she represents man's desire to kill God 
and and it's uh, is that right i i don't i don't we don't know right mm -hmm. but it's it's definitely destructive well i mean also like you know this whole idea of industrialism versus like environmentalism it's like we know what we're doing is bad like we see the effects of the things that we do to the earth and we under we have a scientific understanding and a moral understanding of what we're doing is 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 horrible and yet we want what we want and the earth doesn't have a you know in our world the earth doesn't have some kind of representation of a spirit and so it's really easy to ignore the pain and destruction that we inflict on it well i think it's bigger than industrialization and environmentalism it's it's also like it is it is philosophy modern philosophy versus uh traditionalism or like what we've yeah. seen in the past so it's like uh i mean and i think i think eboshi is arrogant intentionally like it is mm -hmm. it is very arrogant that man oh, yeah. wants to kill god you know oh, what yeah. i mean like and believes they can yeah to to tie some of the things that we've brought to the table here together, I mean, going back to the our, the first thing we talked about was the balance of all of this, um, and then like what Seth is talking about, where Ashitaka is flawed in his altruism because he's too he's he needs to learn how to play the game. The the end result here, what Miyazaki is saying in the end, is that we need the balance. We need Lady Eboshi, who is open to doing good, but cares more about playing the game, playing God. And we need Ashitaka, who cares more about doing the right thing. We need them to balance each other out because of, an, of man's inherent uh, need to push forward into the future. Uh, maybe the best way to do that is if uh, we figure out what the middle ground but is. Never forget, ideas. But never forget there's always Princess Mononoke lurking out there. That's this chaos element. She yeah. will cut you. Like, Love her. Well I and yeah, the dis that destructive that destructive quality that nature has. And and um the monk says it really well earlier in the film, I think sets up a lot of this where they're 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 camping and he says, Look over there. When last time I was here, that used to be a village and like you know, well, maybe it was a flood, maybe it was a mudslide, maybe it was something else. But like, nature just wiped that that village off the face of the map, and probably a lot of people died in the process. Like, that's nature. Sometimes nature yeah. does not give a fuck, and it destroys. It's destructive too, and and I know Megan said that earlier. Of like, not a lot of movies. Some movies, especially aimed for children, are like nature is the is the purest and the goodest, and it's like it's really not. Nature's very, very, very violent and very it's impartial. It's mm -hmm. it's not good or bad. Yeah, not good yeah. or bad. It just is exactly. Mm -hmm. But that's why San had to go back in the end mm -hmm. in, into nature is because mm -hmm. the the spirits. Now, I mean, they say a few times that once the forest spirit dies, all of the animals become stupid again, and uh, the the gods go away, the spirits go away. Mm. So San, because she is human, you know, will remain as the accountability 
the the perspective of nature. But that's mm-hmm. ironic in itself because she's human. Human. Because she's human, and humanity is her greatest. I mean, character wise, is her greatest strength. It's what allows her to as much as she tries she to about. say that she's not human and there and even in that more of her trauma is that she was abandoned thrown mm-hmm. to the wolves as a baby so that her her people could get away and instead of eating her these wolves adopted her and raised her as one of their own and so like her her trauma is this like abandonment humanity abandoned her and so she refuses to acknowledge that she's human I think if Which we needed so a, interesting if we if we needed an emoji for the <laughs> to describe what this movie was uh a, a, you know well a yin yang of course but i think this movie specifically is about the dots inside of the yin yang sure right like the black dot inside the white side and the white dot oh, yeah. inside the black side it's it, yes it, it's about talking about that that even there's a corrupted part or a reflexive part within everything that re- reflects itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a very, very like Eastern idea. Yeah. Um, there, I'm trying, like, I'm trying to come up with how I feel what this movie make like from the what's it about perspective of like Seth. Like it, it, this, like I said, this movie definitely makes me feel things that is like hard to communicate because it is so uh, connected to life and death. Um, which is, I love that we're doing that for this because this yeah. is what we do. But um, it's it makes me scared that I it makes me scared that I don't like Ashitaka and that I. Uh, also like understand the monk you know like that that makes me uncomfortable like mm. um I, I i don't know i like for me i think about mortality way too much it's definitely something i think about uh too often um i don't know why i guess um i think i dealt with death at a young age uh, or it was like afraid of dying really, really young. And then like, I guess being raised in church, you talk about death a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to express. I'm just trying to express something. Uh, it's, it's weird if you think, you know, you ever lay in bed and think about death? <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, Specifically, now I'm wondering if this movie kind of shaped my own perception of death, because I have a very, you know, I have a very weird, I would think a lot of people would say a weird relationship with with death. I mean, um, my my mom died, uh, I guess, close to eight years ago now, almost nine, maybe. And I took like a day off of work, you know what I mean? Like, like, to, to me, I resonate with this film's attitude towards death because oftentimes my thought is, yes, uh, death is sad, but it's also a transition and it's, you know, move and it's time to move forward uh, quicker. I mean, and I'm, uh, I'm not saying that's a healthy way of viewing it. I'm just saying that I'm, I'm, I'm having this realization as I'm talking that like maybe this film 
really kind of helped shape my attitude towards death. Mm-hmm. I mean, Seth, you said something that I, I really, really resonated, resonated with me um, was this, the thing of like, sometimes the fear of death and the understanding of our own mortality is what brings us to live, right? Knowing that we only have so much time and at any point we could die is and like that our our corporeal forms are kind of fragile in that way um does drive a lot of people to do things um but it's also what keeps people from doing things it's also isn't that ironic yeah it also keeps people from doing stuff and and so i i totally that resonates with me and it makes me think of when my mom was was diagnosed with uh breast cancer and like that that moment of like this person could be gone at any point. Luckily she she's in remission, been in remission for quite some time. And we're very thankful for that. But there is that I've talked about this before on the show. There is that like thing in the back of your head that you're like, it can't, you know, cancer. It's one of those things that kind of rears its ugly head over and over again. And like, yeah, it's gone for now, but you know, who knows? And that's scary. Um, And, you know, it does, help remind me of like how special that person is in my life you know but like when the threat of death is not necessarily like right there in front of you sometimes you forget you know you forget to appreciate and so that totally resonates with me and so i think it's important for ashitaka's journey that that like reminder of his impending mortality and event and 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 almost guaranteed certain death is on him is physically visible on him at all times he's got perspective and and he sure. yeah he's got perspective and he can knows when it's getting worse because it gets bigger so he knows mm-hmm. when it's progressing and so like it, it helps give him that ticking clock that i think he needs to keep pushing forward and and maybe seth maybe something that can help you with like the idea of like that maybe ashitaka is too altruistic is that like he's seen the effect of of being afraid of death and and being angry at the fact that you're going to die, he's seen the manifestation of that in the Tatarogami. You know? He saw yeah. what he saw what happens when you are afraid of your own death and are angry about it. It turns you into this corrupted thing, right? And so maybe the curse itself, even though it is marking his death, reminds him to not to take that in stride and not allow it necessarily to corrupt him. Well, the curse is a gift, and the gift is a curse, you mm-hmm. know? Like, and I think that's, I think that's what we all have, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that is the, the uh, beauty and the pain of being a person, which mm-hmm. is like, like, the fact that you're going to die is what makes this thing real, you know? that and to echo back to your point about him realizing that he has to live like he can't be completely altruistic all the time because he's a person i think that sure mortality definitely impacts how we live our lives but also just the realization at a certain point you realize you're gonna have good and bad effects on your environment on the people around you no matter what you do those ripples will do what they're gonna do regardless of your intentions and we have moments of weakness and moments of anger and moments of whatever, just being a person and existing in the world and that realization that you have an impact 
like your existence changes other people's existence is also a gift and a curse. It's, mm. it can be like very, very heavy and overwhelming and you want to hide, or it can be really empowering and exciting and make you want to live. It, it's the tale of two wolves too, right? Like it's the one that you feed, right? Like I, I maybe coincidental, maybe where he got the idea for the wolves from, but you know, there are literally two sibling wolves with mm. San and the themes of balance and the themes of uh, the yeah. curse on his arm. And if he feeds the hatred, you know, that, that sort of. Yeah. Mm. The personal side for me in this movie is, is thinking about the, the wounds that I have that are, are my superpower, but also my, cur my, my curse to bear at the same time. And like, it makes me, it makes me really conscious of trying to recognize when those things are helping me or hurting me right um most of the time hurting <laughs> but sometimes helping um and it just makes me think about okay those those experiences uh that i've had do give me a perspective on things that i think does make me the person that i am for the most part good but mm -hmm. you know I have my flaws. I'm not going to share them here today. None of you are get to see them ever. <laughs> no, but uh, truthfully, truthfully, it does make me think about when do I bear my wounds as a superpower? When do, when do they hold me back? Which we don't have the benefit of having a visible right. representation of our scars. Exactly, I do. And I was saying, but yeah. So, is, uh, does anyone else have anything they really want to get off their chest today about the movie? <laughs> I added a caveat well. about the movie. I murdered someone in Tucson last year. No. <laughs> All right. It sounds to me like we're coming to a kind of a natural conclusion of our conversation today. Um, I feel like there's a lot to be said, but it's like hard. It's it's a very no. Yeah, it is hard. It's a hard one to like. You're, you're we're literally uh, like you're you talk. We're we're asking you to grapple with your own mortality in this conversation, mm -hmm. and that's not easy to do. It's like no, <laughs> you're going to be doing that for the rest of your life. So, well, I think that's part of the what makes this movie great to me is that it's not necessarily concretely saying one particular thing. It's encouraging thought and contemplation about the, all of these themes uh, mm -hmm. while telling an entertaining, awesome action fantasy story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's, that's what the best movies do. Uh, so yeah, if you're out there uh, listening to our podcast in an existential crisis, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, thank you all for joining me to uh, talk about Princess Mononoke. Thank you all at home for listening. Uh, what did you think of Princess Mononoke? What kind of uh, theme gleans did you come away with? Uh, and what does this film make you feel? And how does it, what does it make you think about? Um, please share that with us in any of our comment sections across our social media. Speaking of social medias, it's time to give some shout outs. Uh, Ian, since you are a special guest, why don't you go ahead and go first? Give everybody a shout out. Where can they find you? What do you got going on? Hello. Uh, yes, my name is Ian. I am I am the GM and producer for a podcast called Shrimp and Crits. That's 
S-H-I-R-M-P-A-N-D-C-R-I-T-S. You can find us at that thing on Twitter, uh, at Shrimp and Crits. Uh, you can also find me at Ian Malden, that's I-A-N-M-A-U-L-D-I-N on Twitter. Um, I just released a uh, one-page RPG, TTRPG, called Confluence. It's a two-player game about uh, two characters who meet, and when when they meet, the game is over. Uh, So it's a super interesting kind of creative character-building game. Um, so shout out to that. Shout out to the women of Irontown. I would die for you. Um, and that's about all I have to say today. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Ian. Uh, Megan, go ahead. Shout yourself out. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and only Instagram at, uh, M E A G H A N underscore Jane 61. And I also, if you're going to shout out the women of Irontown, I feel like we didn't give enough credit to son. I feel like I want to She's the best. I love her. I would die for her. Oh, I've always, I've had the biggest crush on Son forever. Yeah. Totally. I think he's so cool. She's so cool. So cool. What? Oh, man. Uh, I just have to say, oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm going back to this uh, really quick. When Ashitaka calls out to her and she wipes the blood off of her fucking mouth and then just says, go away. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Son! <laughs> Son! <laughs> No way. <laughs> she uses her mouth a lot for a lot of things. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> the way you said that was horrible. Yep. Megan, I have a question for you. Did you have to look down to to know your own Instagram handle? Did you have to read it? No, that would be sad and weird. I definitely didn't have to do that. Did you have to read your own Instagram handle? Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought. Okay. You got to put her on blast like that. Because <laughs> yeah. I saw it and it was really funny. She's like, yes, my Instagram is. And then she looks down very clearly. I don't know. It was, it was just so funny. I almost funny forgot to how to spell shrimp. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Seth, why don't you shout yourself out? Yeah. Uh, you can find me at the birdie word on twitter that's t-h-e-b-i-r-d-y-w-o-r-d or seth adam crow on instagram that's crow with an e always with an e and you can also go to my website sethcrow.com all right awesome and i am ricardo blade diaz you can find me at ricardo blade diaz on instagram and tiktok and you can find this show the what's it about film podcast on twitter at we what on instagram at what's it about podcast and on tiktok at what's it about pod we post new episodes every friday morning so that's where you can get them on spotify apple Podcasts, and almost basically where you can get podcasts anywhere uh so please follow us let us know what you think get involved in the conversation what movies do you want us to do Shout them out. All right. It's time to talk about what's next. What's next? And it's my turn to pick. It's my turn to pick. So there's a movie coming out this week called Cocaine Bear. (laughs) And and as ridiculous as that movie seems, (laughs) we're not going to be watching Cocaine Bear. Um, I know. But look, look, I've had many listeners get very annoyed with us when we pick movies that are in theaters <laughs> because it's much harder for them to watch along there. So Fair. occasionally we'll do a, f- a film in, in theaters occasionally, but I don't always want to go to that. Well, cause then we're asking our audience to be going out to the movies every week and that's not, not everybody got time for that. <laughs> um, so uh, instead we're going to be watching one of the OG best 
creature feature animal attack movies that have, has ever existed. We're going to be watching Jaws. Hey! Better it. choice, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you all want to watch Jaws along with us, uh, you can watch Jaws on Amazon Prime, Vudu, Apple TV, Redbox, Google Play, and YouTube, all to pay to rent. It doesn't look like it's available for just free streaming on any of those platforms, but, you know, three bucks to rent Jaws. It's all good. I'm going to have um, a lot to say about this one, y'all. I know. See, you were all sad because we weren't going to watch Cocaine Bear. <laughs> you can still go see Cocaine Bear if you want. <laughs> and you can talk about it. And you can talk about it before we talk about Jaws. <laughs> if you would like to join our Patreon, we'll give you a 20-minute rant from Seth talking about <laughs> Cocaine Bear. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be amazing. I would love to hear a 20-minute rant you talking about Cocaine Bear. He may oh or not, may not be on cocaine while he is on the rant about cocaine we can, bear. We can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you all again so much for, for listening. Uh, we will see you again next time. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome, Bye. Ian. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Bye. Adios. Adios. Bye.